0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton, Jenny Froom, and Adebayo Adylica here with you on Supply Chain. Now welcome to today's show. Uh Jenny, first, how you doing?
1: Really well. Really good.
0: It is so good to see you again. I tell you, we've really uh we're spiking the football on this incredible series here. And we've got our dear friend Adebayo. Adebayo, how you doing today?
2: nice always I life. Uh <laughs> nice to be here with Scott, Jenny, and our guest. You know, lovely, lovely. I'm
0: with you. And if I could wake up with Jenny and bio every morning, I think I would get so much more done. It really, <laughs> y'all got you got a vibe and energy and and um, an action that makes the world a better place. But hey, today we're continuing our supply chain leadership across Africa series in conjunction, of course, with our friends at Sapix and Supply Chain Africa. So Jenny Froom serves as COO at Sapix, which is doing wonderful work from a professional development and a networking standpoint, and Adebayo Adilike is a founder of Supply Chain Africa which is a digital platform with a singular mission to advance African supply chains. Love that. Um but guess what? It gets even better. So as if Jenny and Adebayo wouldn't make for a great episode, we've got two other leaders that were really were just over the moon uh, and tickled they could they could be here with us. Uh first up uh Tapiwa Mukwashi, director Global technical team at Village Reach. Tapiwa, how are you
3: doing? Hi, Scott. It's good to be here. And thanks for having us on the show. You bet. We got
0: so much to cover. Thanks for taking some time out. And you're joined by a colleague, Tawanga Nkanawiri, Global Team, I'm sorry, Director and Team Lead for Global Supply Chain at Village Reach. Tawanga, how you doing?
4: Great, Scott. I'm so glad to be here with both you and uh, Jenny and Adebayo. Looking forward to a great
3: conversation.
0: We are too. And you see, my uh, my tongue tried to get me in trouble there, right? We we we're always <laughs> we're always making last minute additions and changes to our uh, to our uh, notes here. But congrats on what I believe is as a recent promotion, and so excited to dive more into both your and Tapia's story. So with all of that, I think we have uh, effectively set the table a bit. And Jenny, I want to start with you. Where where are we starting with our incredible guests here today?
1: Well, I think we're going to start at the very beginning and ask Tuonge and Tepiwa if you would like to share with us where you actually grew up. So we'll start with ladies first. We'll start with Tuonge, and you tell us a little bit about where you grew up.
4: Oh, sure thing.
1: Um, it always nice being a lady.
4: Always good to go first. Um, <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, most days. But, anyways, I was born in uh, Malawi, which is um, Central Africa. Spent the first um, 11 odd years of my life there. And then uh, my parents and I moved to Namibia um, in Zambezia province. So, if you look at the map of Namibia, it's the finger that's sticking out on the one side. So, that's where I grew up.
1: Thanks. And Tabiwa.
3: And so, you know, Jenny, Village Ridge focuses on the last mile. And then, I must say, um, I'm from Zimbabwe and I, I grew in what, grew up in what we can call the last mile. Um, I'm from the Manekalen province in Zimbabwe. Um, I studied right up until my first degree in Zimbabwe. So I'm really very much Zimbabwean. Um, locally driven, globally connected, that's how we call it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think the experience that I've had growing up in the environment that I did uh, is equipping me to be able to work across a number of countries supporting supply chain improvements in the last mile, um, improvements that I'm really motivated to contribute to because of what I've seen growing up. So very glad to be here and to be talking mm-hmm. about a subject that I'm very passionate about.
0: Hey yeah, Jenny, abs-
1: absolutely. Yeah.
3: Re-
0: really quick, I had to so Tuange, as both of uh Tuange and a uh, Tapi was, was sharing, I had to go ahead and pull up a map. Yeah, I'm a big <laughs> yes. map nerd, right? <laughs> and <clears throat> that as the the finger that Tuange was talking about, I see that that both Namibia and Zimbabwe are kind of in the southern half of the continent, right? Mm-hmm. You got Botswana that, that separates the two, but um mm-hmm. For our viewers, as they're kind of trying to picture on the map exactly where uh, these landmarks are, the kind of southern half of the continent, and of course, South, South Africa at the bottom uh, there of Africa. But um, to complete, so Jenny, you're in South Africa. I believe you're in Johannesburg, yep. right?
1: Yep. Yep.
0: So, out of bio, to kind of finish that, before I, before we get back to J- Jenny and the personal journeys, personal way back in the beginning with our guests, where are you uh, currently out of bio and, and where are you from?
2: Oh, uh- You know, born and raised in Nigeria, we had a kind of a little bit west, but not central. uh, It depends on how you look at it, but a little west. Actually, I just just returned from Nigeria after about two weeks uh, doing my rendezvous over there uh, for supply chain Africa. So you're back in the States right now. So, and then just for a breeder and then head back to Africa again. So, yeah. So you have... You Have all Africans surrounding you now from south to the east, north from southeast and then into central. So, yeah. love that.
0: Yeah. The movers and shakers. Yeah. Uh, I think Adebayo lives in an airplane these days. I think he was Jenny, <laughs> as we were prepping for this one, I think he was uh, he was ubering from one meeting to the next. So, it's good to,
1: it's right. good to have him here
0: today. Um, all right.
1: But so, so if you're if you're a map nerd, there's a game that you need to find for yourself. It's called, you know, there's this this game that's the real trend that's called Wordle. Right. There's an there's another game that's called World. Oh, so it's W-O-R-L-D-L-E. Okay. And it shows you outlines of countries. That's all. You just get an outline of the country and you have to identify where that you've got five guesses, I think, to guess which well. country it is. Oh, wow. so, all well, you, all you international folk that's a, that's a change from the word one so <laughs> have, have, have a look at that um, and, and you know sort of found by our grandson who's staying with us at the moment from Kenya so the Africa connection continues Love that. Um, and, yeah, and, and talking about young people and, and connections. Um, Tapira, have you got a, a sort of a childhood memory that you want to share with us that sort of was, has stood out for you?
3: I do. You know, um, you know, I, I work with Tiwongi a lot, and um, she knows how driven I am. I'm very results-oriented. I'm very focused on achieving outposts, outcomes. Um, and once I get to do something, there's no stopping to it. Um, And in my family, we three boys. um, I learned very early on to survive, um, to demand my space, to, you know, uh, focus on getting the kind of things I wanted um, because it is a very competitive environment. So I'm thinking that this childhood I have with three older brothers, I'm the youngest. um, Of course, externally, they would look out for me. Uh, but within the home, um, <laughs> they had to look out for themselves as well, and and so um, I, I think the kind of drive that I have, um, the competitive nature in me, the go-get go-getter nature in me, to some of those childhood um, experiences, I I, I would say it was a form of involuntary learning that's uh, allowed me to survive. Um, yeah. When I think about growing out of Zimbabwe, um, starting to work regionally and internationally, I found the Nigerians very competitive.
2: Oh, yeah, Um, we are. I
3: I found the the Kenyans very competitive. I found the Ugandans very competitive. Um, I, I did a part of my study in South Korea. I thought the Chinese are driven, like there's no stopping once they start studying. The South Koreans look at all the innovation they're having. Um, they can literally work 24-7. Um, I, I think I've been able to cope in a more diverse environment, in a growing environment, um, because growing up, I never knew what giving up meant. and um, I, I've learned a lot. I've used a lot of the lessons learned in my life to, to keep fitting into a space uh, you know that inquir- requires me to work with people from diverse cultures with diverse work approaches uh knowing that we are all pursuing the same thing we want to achieve good to do good yeah. in the world
1: that's fantastic you know si- sibling rivalry whatever however you like to call it um nurture fighting bullying it's always it, it makes us stronger in the end so that's that Really it, uh, great example. Like you've, uh, you've got twins, haven't you, Adebayo?
2: I do. I do. And I watch them daily debates. And uh, I have a liberal-minded daughter and I have a conservative son. So yeah. it's always a very interesting uh, conversation. But <laughs> uh, just to uh, for the pure a very interesting natural point as the last child. Mostly I found the middle child being the one that is out there by themselves. Most middle children are always... Because nobody really care. They only care about the first child and the last child. So most middle <laughs> children are always like on their own. They will do all the craziest things. Because most of the people I've met from the big family, I always ask them, you are the middle child? I say, yep. Because there are certain attributes that who's out of them. You're like, oh, this guy is way out there, you know. But it's always the middle children that is always very interesting. But I'm, I'm glad at, at least. And also the last child too can be bullied a lot growing up. So they have to kind of fight for it's their independence. Energy. So I mm-hmm. see from... Uh, uh, from Tapuwa's point of view, that you know, being a being a last child can be very interesting. I'm the second to the last, so I thought I was the last for a while, and then they had my brother, and <laughs> then so, and, and then that took my shine, you know. But uh, for the most yeah. part, it's quite interesting.
0: Out of bio, uh, yeah, go I got to share because uh, uh, I'm a similar similar note there. Um, I've got one brother and one sister, but for the longest time, it was me and my brother, and then uh, we got surprised with a sister. And, and I was moved from the bedroom to they converted our dining room into a bedroom. Uh, and that was, I'll have to uh, share that story one time. But hey, you know, you never know. You think you're the last person and we always, surprises are nonstop. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly. When my brother was, who is this kid? Who is this kid? I was always <laughs> taking my shine. I think I, I was I was very rebellious because I was like, you know, initially, initially I was happy for it. then I realized that, started taking all the attention. I was like, wow, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm an attention kind of person, but you, know, you always like to be the last person, everybody. But now, you know, but it's very interesting how yes. our formative years kind of shape the way and who we become as an mm-hmm. adult. You know, some of those things, some of those fights that you have to do and how you kind of make your stand so I can understand from the people's perspective, especially in the African environment where things and you have to pretty much fight for everything. You have to fight for, the I mean, the only thing that you can't fight for is your air. I mean, the way mm-hmm. things are going these days is, becoming, the, is very, it's becoming a rare commodity. But almost everything, I mean, uh, is a challenging environment, the whole continent that yeah. is uh, that we are coming to kind of uh, grapple with. So I completely understand. So trust me that the Americans, the, the, the Koreans, and the rest of the world has nothing on you because what you've gone through, uh, it's it's a challenge on its own, and I don't think anyone else to contend with that. But it's very interesting. I think, and and to to uh, to to kind of caveat to what the uh, said, I think that growing up in an African setting gives you a different flavor and a different perspective, and able to appreciate and be more to be more globally fitted for the role that you might be trusted into uh, down the line.
0: So on that note, and getting back to you, Jenny, and and, and I love I love how much we've baked into uh, this front end. Uh, competition and 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 fighting for what you want and and um you know never stopping so jenny back to you because this is just that's just our first guest uh, yeah yeah I, I mean
1: well I was gonna say looking at Tawonge's face I'm putting money on the fact she's a middle child <laughs> I, was my I,
4: <laughs> I was one of the few that held on to the prize you know so I'm <laughs> the last one um unfortunately and then Scott who um, got the surprise one. I was the surprise. So <laughs> you know, I held on to that space and uh, I think I was, I i wouldn't say I was spoiled. It's just, I've always been given my space. Um, so yeah, treasured, pushed. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, my, my siblings have played a big role in, Yes, we'll kind of let you do your own thing, but you must do your thing. You have to do something. Um, you're not just here to laze about, uh, which is something that has definitely come into play in in, in my life and, and in the work. Um, get things done. Get things done, whether on my own or as part of a team. Um, and I have that confidence in being able to do that work a lot because of that that support and the push from from my family. I think growing up, um, with the one memory that um, It's actually a a bunch of memories, I think. Um, They all revolve around kind of the walks from school to home. Um, So it's like a big rush, leave school, rush and play along the road, get home, drop off the bags and just grab food quickly and go back and play. Um, And then, you know, kind of be surprised when it's time to go back home and mom is driving or being driven down to get home and you need to rush and get into the house <laughs> <laughs> before but um, I
2: think
4: for me what sticks out about that is that sense of community. Um, so yeah. Tapio and Adivayo mentioned how on this continent, yes, you you do need to to fight for, for your place, but I think there's also a really amazing sense of community and um, people always coming together, good times and bad, to get things to work, which is something that I think is is quite um, unique, um, and it's something that I think we we need to leverage more, especially as we look at public health supply chains. How to tap into the power of the community to actually get yeah. services to the very same people. Um, so yeah,
2: I, I yeah. love it. I love it. And to caveat to it, I think last bonds uh, the last. Uh, last of the family, I think they are more, they experience more parenting. Being that most of the earlier children have been just experimentation. Kids, <laughs> the, the most the parents be like, you know what? We don't know what we're doing, but we get it. But the last one, they've been through one or two of them already. They experience, they know what to do and what not to do. So I think most people always refer last child as being spoiled, but not really. I think they just experience better parenting. For the most part, because the parent were like, you know what? We did this, it didn't work with this guy, we did this. Maybe let's try this last one. I think it will get That's what I always in a view of it, because I have a last child too. I believe she's spoiled. I really do believe she's spoiled, but I think she's <laughs> better parenting, but
0: <laughs> so <laughs> J- Jenny,
2: uh, we got
0: together for a supply chain conversation and a parenting conversation and like a psychology Annie. uh broke out. But, there's, but there's, isn't
1: everything supply chain? You right, so it is.
0: But it's so <laughs> true. It is so fascinating. And out of bio, I love your, your. first off, I love uh, Tuange and Tapiwa you sharing what you've shared on the earliest part of your journey. Uh, Tuange, I think those, you know, what you learn on those walks to and from school and those drives to and from school are so critical. And I think many of us can relate to that. Out of bio, I love how you mentioned parents by the time the third or fourth child may or beyond rolls around, they get, they benefit from all the proven parenting mm-hmm. approaches from the experiments that are so cool. But Jenny, um mm-hmm. I'd love to, you know, spend a couple hours on this segment, but we want to talk about one of our favorite topics here before we we bring it past the time out of bio, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Food, 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 food. And it's that time of day for me where we have to talk food. Um, we, we, <laughs> I want to know from, from each of you one dish that either evokes childhood memories or is some, something that you just is synonymous with home. And that's over to you, Tuongo. What's your one number one food? or oh, tribe. You know the info? Tribe.
2: Oh, tribe. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We might have it's some come
4: <laughs> No, happy memories. Um, my dad would always make sure that he has some in the fridge when I was coming back from boarding school of varsity. So happy
1: memories
0: with tripe. Amazing. Well, I got, I got a quick follow-up <laughs> there because yeah. um, when I've consumed tripe, it was in uh, Vietnamese, uh, uh, Vietnamese pho, right? Pho, the bowl of it's, soup yeah, I, It's one of the yeah. common, common dishes I've had with tripe. What's, what's one of your favorite dishes that tripe goes into, gay.
4: Um, so we normally just cook it. uh um, tri- just try. Well, you eat it with, um, you know, you'd have like vegetables and and sema, which is what it's called in Malawi. So it's a mini meal, um, porridge, not soft porridge, but a hard one. I think in Nigeria it's in fufu or something like that. Yes, fufu,
2: vegetables. I didn't even get it in pepper soup.
4: Not so much pepper soup to soup in Malawi, but
1: definitely <laughs> the salsa in Zimbabwe, the tribe and the vegetables. It's the perfect trio. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it was very popular in in the UK in the sort of the sixties. I remember my grandmother used to love tripe, so it's a, it's definitely something that's gone out of fashion oh, yeah. in 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 England. I so know you, that
0: you're saying, Jenny, it's a universal uh, uh, bridge food to bring us all together around tripe. Mm-hmm. You, you never know, yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it could catch on. Everyone listening
3: here may <laughs> think, "Oh, I'll go try it." We've started a whole new craze. Right. <laughs> uh, to mm-hmm. to Piwa. So you know, I, I'm hearing the conversation on tripe, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I like tripe. Um, you know, it's the kind of food that when you get an acquired taste, you, you just can't stop. It's with age, you start to love it more. But, but growing up, and I think it was driven more from a point of scarcity than plenty, was um, I like peanut butter and rice with mm. this traditional rice um, that's ground up and mixed with peanut butter. So I like that for the start. And even up to now, if I have it, there's no stopping. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it, particularly when it's served together with, with oxtail. Um <laughs> And so I'm asking, why why is it that I was so, I loved Oxtail so much. Um, I, I'm now realizing that, you know, when you killed the cow in the village, um, it was once in in a year or twice in a year. And that's at the point that you'd get Oxtail, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I walk into the supermarket and there are all these shelves with Oxtail. I'm like, where did these cows come from now, you know? Um, so right now, um, that childhood dish is continuing to be my favorite dish. So I will have peanut butter rice anytime with, with oxtail. That does it for me. <laughs> um, nice. If I could eat for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. I'm not very complicated. Uh, so my kids can't understand. I have no time for pizza. Um, I have no time for to, to go to some of the Italian restaurants with them to 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 eat um, spaghetti or the macaroni, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking like, when can we get back to get yeah. to what I really call food? So um and I, I I love it today.
1: So that's great, oxtail. It's the whole slow food movement, isn't it? To eat the whole the whole beast or not waste anything and it's something I think we all need to be much more conscious of so thanks very much for sharing those and your, and your early years as well and now um, Adebayo is going to take you to the next level so that we get to know you further into your careers and your lives it's been fascinating so far it's exciting
2: uh, thanks you so much, Jenny. Uh, I'm an equal opportunist when it comes to food. <laughs> uh, but one thing I did not like growing up was eating beans uh, for some strange reason. My mom loved it. Uh, and she always cooked it, like, almost every day. So you can only imagine I had to starve myself to prevent myself from eating beans. But for any other thing else, I'm game. Anyway, so uh, it's just nice uh, hearing from, you know, uh, Tapua and to just experience. But you know what? I'll go from, let's go, you know, back, back, way So who inspired you as a child? Uh, I'll go, I'll start with uh, Tepiwa. Who inspired you as a child growing up? I know you grew up in a village area, but at least some kind of, you got the, some kind my, of my, inspiration.
3: My, yes, absolutely.
2: Uh-huh. Go
3: ahead. I did. I did. Um, My brother actually, Um, and I'll explain why, you know, at, at the time that my brother grew up, um, getting into university was like uh, one child in the whole district. Through high school, he went to boarding school first. He wore the blazer in the family first. And just looking at it, I just wanted to be like him when he qualified to go into university and... I knew right there that this is what I wanted. I wanted to go to university first. Uh, he is also somebody that I've always looked at as the business with judgment, very patient. Um, he's got such profound wisdom. If you turn to him for advice. Um, so he's been an inspiration to me ever since I was young. And I'm glad that he's continued to be a big fan of light, even as we think of the uh, I, I, I could say I've learned a couple of other things, perseverance, tenacity from my mom. I would think was driven more by some of the achievements that my brother did that took him out of the
2: village. That's quite interesting uh, uh, that, you know, our early and formative years, uh, we have family members to kind of look up to. Especially, but you can only imagine who your brother actually look up to, because for he, for you to look up to him, you can see so much pressure from your parents for him to set the standard for you guys to follow. And I think most firstborns in African communities, we always have that kind of, they have that kind of fiduciary responsibility to kind of set the standard, set the tone, because they were like, what are you doing? Don't you see your siblings gonna be watching you, every step you make they're gonna be watching you. So uh your your experience is 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 quite uh, you know kind of drawing that line of him being your Roman and I really uh, that's quite actually touching because it shows a lot about the family values, it shows a lot about our community, our value system in the African communities, how it is, uh, it set the tone for everything else. Families, the new of our society, and, you know, gaining those kind mm-hmm. of, you know, your brother being that role model mm-hmm. means, I mean, the world to you and could still continue to mean the world to you. So, thanks for sharing that. Um, so, over to you, uh, Tuange. So, who inspired you as a child?
4: Sure think. So, I, I think... For me, it's a it's a clear um, my mother, um, and it was more about how she um, talked to us, the the kind of encouragement that she would provide to us. Um, she's pushed all of us um, to work hard, do um, as much as we can, give whatever we're doing our best. Um, but what I've always found so comforting was, you know, after doing all the pushing, she would be like, no matter what, you know, your father and I will be here. No matter what, we will support you. And you have, and she always had this phrase, the Mount Everest of support. Um, so it was always great if you're, you know, in boarding school um, or in res and varsity and things are going tough and you know, she's on the phone, there were no video chats. Um, she was on the phone and she's like, you know, just imagine Mount Everest of support. Um so for me, it it you know gave me that space to to grow, to try and you know, still be okay if I fail, because I could picture that Mount Everest of support still being uh, <laughs>
0: there. I, I right. love that. Uh, that that that's I mean, there's so many takeaways already, Jenny and Adebayo from our guests here today. Uh, but that, that Mount Everest of support, I'm going to shamelessly steal that Tawange from your mother, uh, because, you know, beyond the fact that it's so, there's so much meaning and value there, but never really thought about it, but the visual that you can instantly have in your mind, and even the most trying hours of the day, I mean, that, that that's very powerful. Um, and we may have, um. Uh, we may have lost to Piwa just for a second. I'll keep an eye on uh, on on the
2: invite log. But uh, Adabayo, Jenny, man, go ahead, Jenny. Before I comment, yeah,
1: I was just going to say, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, I I was fortunate enough to have parents who were just the most supportive parents in the world, but obviously not. But we all, you know, we're those who of us who are lucky enough. But I love that exactly as you say, Scott. That image. Of the Mount Everest of support. I'm also going to steal it. I'm going to go over and tell my grandchildren that exactly.
2: Yeah, it, it's uh, and, and uh, to thanks for, uh, kind of sharing that because it's very synonymous to African parents that uh, even in your adulthood, they're still there praying for you, concerned about your well-being. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I've lived in several cultures, and I and I know most parents are always concerned about their culture, but African parents are extra. Uh, they are they are very extra. They have extra dose of concern, even to their dad, even to their age in their nineties. They're still worrying about you as your child. Have you eaten? You looking thin? You this? I mean, I'm like, wow, this you know. And if you look across, regardless of how, oh, well you've lost weight. As your wife not feeding you is all this I mean it's very interesting and how African parents are uh, but it's just to show you of how overwhelming the love and the community and how our value system is and uh, so what you share is very is, is quite important because our, our parents are, are pretty much the greatest influence that we have uh growing up and it's uh it's very interesting that even till now, you know, uh, you know, I was my, my kids are raised in the US. I told those guys, you know, they're about to be 18. I say, guys, you know, uh, yeah. you know, when you're 18, man, you know, you, you're you're adopt. You know, now you can I'm gonna kick you out of the house. My wife just looked at me and I'd be like, Where are you taking them to? I was like, oh, that's true. <laughs> you know, because in our community we we don't do we I mean we don't do that. Even you'd be you surprised that even if you don't have a place to go, your 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 your, your parents' house is always open. They have open doors. Unfortunately, of course, in your adulthood, you're not gonna go back to your parents. So, but it's just like, hey, it's always that soccer for a lot of us. So, you know, thanks to all our parents for what they do for that, uh, you know, that unwavering support they've given us over the years. So, thank you, uh, uh, you know, to Angie for sharing that. You know, special love to your mom and all and the rest of the family. And the same thing for Topiwa as well. So, Adebayo,
3: um, you know, just reflecting on the same subject, I'm glad that Tionke was sharing about your mom. It just reminds me of a book I read by Russell Cornwall, um, Acres of Diamonds. Um, You know, sometimes we try and look for inspiration in very far away places, and yet the inspiration is right around us. Um, Just look around you, there's somebody to inspire you there's somebody to lift you up, to uplift you and provide, you know, that kind of inspiration you need to make it to the next, next stage in life.
2: Wow. As, as, as deep. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that, man. Thanks for that. It's always inspiration around us. It's always, and you're absolutely right. Every morning, you know, I wake up, I'm like, man, people are looking for something to inspire them just to be alive. It's an inspiration itself. Uh, it's an inspiration itself. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, to people for sharing that so i'll go back to uh to again so tuange so how did you get into the work you are doing today i know you've had some uh, some shared experience so uh how did you get to uh to what you are doing today just walk us through your your professional your personal journey if they are intertwined or not
4: definitely intertwined um i was i was reflecting back just now on, on where it all started and, and once again it started with my mother uh <laughs> you know um I think as as children and then girls, especially, there's always that time when you butt heads with, with your um, and we definitely had a butting of head. When I was choosing what to go study, varsity, I wanted to go dentistry and law, and I wanted to apply everywhere for that. And my mother was like, you know, people can happily live with a, a, an aching tooth for, for a while, but... As soon as someone has a headache, they will go into a pharmacy. So why don't you go study pharmacy? Um, So I agreed to apply to one place for a pharmacy degree. And lo and behold, that's the one that I got accepted for first. And yeah, I did my pharmacy um, undergraduate degree at Rhodes University in the Eastern Cape, beautiful Eastern Cape in South Africa. Um, And then from there, um, I think that the journey kind of grew organically as I did, did my master's in public health. Um, I I started to to better understand um, some of the tools and and things that are out there that can help address some of the challenges that I grew up seeing. So I grew up seeing relatives, you know, spending time in hospitals, coming back um, in in more, um, more times than one, not having received the medicine that they needed or being told, oh, I only came back with Panado, which is paracetamol for, for a lot of, for some who might not know, even if, you know, their condition required a lot more. So I only came back with Panado and I was asked to go and buy um, medicine, either at the pharmacy or somewhere else. And in most cases, these were people that did not have money to pay for that medication. Um, and it's it's things that I grew up seeing, it's things that I'm still seeing, it's, it's challenges that that are real, that that exist. Um, there are children out there that are not being vaccinated, there are children that are not um, you know, able to get antibiotics to treat um to treat the illness that they have. Um, very high mortality still for mothers and children. So I, I think my my different roles, um, all of them involved, um, you know, looking at how we can improve pharmaceutical systems and healthcare supply chains in general, so that we have less and less of those instances where children are not able to get access to the care that they need just because of a failure in the system. Um, so that is what's gotten me into this work and it's, it's what keeps me in this work. Um, yeah.
2: Wow. That's pretty, very interesting. You know, I've always, uh, I was talking to someone about tweets, it was like, they were talking about looking at healthcare supply chain in Africa. It seems like it's dominated by pharmacists. I was like, hmm, interesting. And to be honest, I can count about 20 on top of my head right now that are pharmacists and you just uh, put a heist on the case. But it makes sense. It does make sense of why pharmacists are quite concerned about the the chain of custody of uh, drug supplies to move from point of you know, point A to point B. So I, I get it, and actually, who's best to actually understand that? Make sure the drugs are done, and you know, not being adulterated along the line. So it's absolutely, actually, there's some crazy ideas that I'm just going through my head as you're talking about how drugs uh, and supply chain of drugs across the continent. It just, it just, it's a flash of new idea right now. You know, I don't know. I'm, after this. Podcast, I'm going to kind of let it marinate, but thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. We have, we have to have one more thing.
4: Yeah, I, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking about pharmacists um, in public health supply chains. We've had long debates with colleagues and, and a few others um, about the role that pharmacists play versus uh, supply chains specialists, supply chain professionals. Um, And as a result of that, I think for a long time I've started saying I'm a recovering pharmacist (laughs) because I think sometimes we, um, we tend to perhaps overplay the role that pharmacists are supposed to play when it comes to ensuring that the commodities get to where they need to be. I think, you know, and we can have a conversation about this on another day, there's a role there for making sure that the pharmaceutical care is provided, that the right products are selected for the country, um, and all of that, which is more on the pharmacies, pharmaceutical side of things, the manufacturing, all of that. But then there is, what is the most efficient way to source um, and get that product to where it's going? And we Bingo. really need to
1: start
4: bringing the... Two um, families together. Community,
2: you know? <laughs> yeah, actually, you're speaking music to my head because I think the case can be made of having supply chain courses in our pharmaceutical schools across the continent. I think there's a need for it because a lot of people are trusted into that role when they figure out they don't like being a researcher or they don't like being a hospital pharmacist. They like to be on the road. A lot of them are marketers, you know? Uh, I know about this because I get to, I have a lot of friends that are pharmacists and In a lot of them, if you're marketing a particular drugs, you have to understand how to get it from point A to point B. And then you, hence, you get into supply chain of it and the warehousing of it and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you and I, I think we're on the same note. We speak the same. uh, Do we want to say something, Scott?
0: I I was just going to say, going back to the earlier part of Tuange's answer, to, you know, see the challenges uh, and and experience that maybe family members that she was talking to. I picked up on kind of how that resolve of hers to do something about it was really, um, steeled, uh, or, um, it, it became a very real thing. And, and that's what I hear. That's really drives a uh, Twange uh, day in and day out now. And that's a, I'll tell you when you can see challenges and, and to people, I want to get your, your take on this too, but when you see challenges that, you know, all societies, communities have, and to be put in a position of leadership to drive action to, to really address that. It's got to be incredibly fulfilling. What We're going to talk mo- more about village vo- village reach. I keep wanting to say village voice, village reach uh, momentarily. But uh, if I could, at a bio, with your permission, if I could extend your same question to, to Piwa as we're Absolutely. talking about, you know, what mm-hmm. got you into this line of work before we dive deeper into mm-hmm. village reach?
3: Thanks, Scott. Um, and I just wanted to pivot a little bit on the conversation that was happening earlier because... Um, it delves into why this conversation on professionalization is absolutely important. What skills, what competencies would be needed for someone to competently discharge their roles and responsibilities in a supply chain sense. And so basing on assumptions that pharmacists are the best or not the best um, kind of does not drive us towards that end state we're desiring. And I was smiling when Tiwonga was putting the disclaimer on the, uh, the role that some pharmacists have to play and non pharmacists have to play. I was thinking, yeah, you know, Tiwonga is, is, is creating a runway for me to take off there. Uh, <laughs> because um, while we work in the same space with Tiwonga, I, I, I'm not a pharmacist. Um, I, I'm more from a logistic background. Um, I, I started off my career. Working in a sugar manufacturing and distribution, distributing concern, moved on to one that manufactures beverages, um, beverages um, distribution and manufacturing, um, a a, a subsidiary of SAB Miller. And uh, having worked for Coca Cola, because the company is a distributor of Coca Cola products, I, I, I just got the sense that there's got to be something much bigger um i got more acquainted with some of the debates around well why is it that we can get coca-cola in very difficult places but we can't get uh, medicine in in the same places um so and the because-
0: hang on hang on one second we gotta spike the football Adebayo, that deserves a bingo jenny that deserves a hallelujah from the mountaintops that's such a and, and i'm not gonna pick on coca-cola but the greater point to PY is making is, you know, why can't we can get, it's amazing. All the products across the globe, we can get whatever, whatever flavor, whatever, you name it, we get it there. But we have these greater challenges with, with these critical supplies uh, and beyond just the COVID-19 vaccine, all healthcare supplies. Why can't we apply the same? This is how we do it um, mentality to that to PY that is golden. And I think it's a question we all should, you know, keep front and center.
2: And you're absolutely right. Uh, we've had this discussion over and over again. Why is it that certain brands have better penetration in the market? Mm-hmm. That they are very life-saving things that we need. You know, we shouldn't be struggling with uh, distributing COVID vaccine. It should be, it should be get go. Would the, I mean we shouldn't be using CVS? And, uh, you know, Walgreens, I mean, already established infrastructure. I mean, they, they're great. I'm not saying that what they did was wrong, but those things shouldn't be even be debatable. Ability mm-hmm. to get uh, life saving medications and life saving drugs uh, shouldn't be something that is used to be an afterthought or you have to go to the drawing table. It should be already established framework that facilitates such movement. So, I, I, you know, we can, it's, I know it's beyond the scope of this uh, podcast, but that could be another podcast myself mm-hmm. about how, why, you know, because you know, we, I can even tie it to the military. You know, uh, when General Petraeus, when he was uh, head of a, uh, uh, you know, the mission in Afghanistan, told everyone, you know, no pizza, nothing, because all these things is harboring, is competing with the supply chain to move bu- guns and bullets and everything nice. that you need to fight the war. So, you know, there's there is a lot to be uncovered, to unhurt when it's, when having this conversation. So, not to take away from what uh, the power is saying, but uh, it's just uh, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you,
0: uh, and because that question to people just brought up uh, in a different version can be applied to many things uh, out of bio uh, yes. across global supply chain. But so, yeah. Tepiwa, you, uh we're all big fans. Uh, I've got, I may, I may just have to go out and get a Topiwa <laughs> uh, uh tattoo on my left shoulder here. Oh, nice. So thank you I for letting that. us interrupt mm-hmm. you for just a second because of what you shared mm-hmm. was golden. But please continue your point there and then mm-hmm. we're going to move into uh, Village Reach and the story there.
3: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and so it's this experience and the discipline um, that's involved in terms of manufacturing a service, uh, the services across the supply chain, you know, developing them, implementing them uh, with, with the kind of dexterity that's needed or that's applied in the private sector. Um, I, I, I joined um, a, a big organization, not, not for profit, um, one of the UN agencies, I must say, and, and it is from there that my interactions with medicines, the challenges that medicines are facing to get to the last mile um, started. And I, I, I've not stopped growing from there. Um, I've developed through experience, you know, working in different environments, graduating out of the more operational side of the supply chain, to the more strategic side, uh, focused on uh, system design, uh, focusing on strengthening leadership, system strengthening. And this is what has seen me uh, work in a number of countries across Africa, um, in West Africa, in, in, in Southern Africa, whilst Iwange, uh grew up and schooled in, in, in Namibia. I, I worked in Namibia for a, a couple of years. Um, leading a regional project um, to end malaria in, in Southern Africa. And by both experience and exploiting the foundational skills that I have, uh, I'm also a voracious reader. You asked earlier in the in the show, uh, w- what is it about your childhood that sticks out? One of the things that sticks out is that both my parents were teachers. Um, everything, uh, discipline-wise, always ended up in uh, some lesson, being taught something, being forced to read something. Uh, I developed a a voracious appetite for reading at at that early stage. Um, And I figured, okay, if I have a master's degree, am I going to get another master's degree to understand (laughs) another subject? Three (laughs) master's degrees, four master's degrees, absolutely not, I'm not. I'm going to engage in continuous professional development uh, to acquire the skills that make me more effective at at work. Uh, And so my appetite for reading, my appetite for knowledge acquisition is continue to refine how I cross-learn, learn learn things from new industries and apply them in the work that I do on a daily basis. So um, I've moved from the private sector to the not-for-profit sector, work very closely with governments. And I think, I'm in a good space to, uh, you know, seek a transformation.
0: And to, tr- and to create an impact. Uh, absolutely. And, and to piwa we need more folks with you and Tuonga's, uh background, not just in global supply chain, but global business and, and global leadership. So thank you for sharing. I, w- I want to move right along. Um, it, it's amazing. Just what I've learned, thanks to Adebayo and Jenny, uh, about the work that Village Reach is doing. And, and y'all Clearly, have lots of fans across the globe, but I want to give you all a chance. And Tawange, I want to pose this to you first, and then we'll, we'll circle back to, uh, to Piwa. Uh, but tell us, if you would, in a nutshell, uh, about the work that Village Reach uh, is doing, right, and where it's doing it. So, Tawange, let's start there.
1: Sure.
4: Um, you know, as you were asking that question, I was, I was reflecting on on that saying that, you know, birds of a feather tend to flock together. Um, and listening to the comments that you has been making. Um, it's resonating. I'm not too surprised we both ended up at Village Reach, which is essentially um, um, a team of very dedicated, very passionate people who are working to transform health services for everyone. We want to get to a time where everyone that health care, particularly primary health care, um, gets that services regardless of who they are or where they are. And we do that um, focusing on two main pillars. The first one is taking the pathways to primary health care. So looking at using um, a technology, modern technology, to better deliver primary health services to those mothers, women, uh, children, uh, men in in the most remote last mile um, areas. But not just looking at it geographically, but those that are being underserved even in urban areas. So things like our health center by phone technology, where people can in and get information about um, health services available to them, how to manage ailments. It's something that has proven very uh, pivotal actually during the, the data. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is products to people. Um, so it's about how to change the way in which a lot of Health systems are traditionally set up um, in sub-Saharan Africa, where the onus is on the patient to walk sometimes very long distances to get to clinics to access health commodities. So we want to change that to a point where we are using everything that's available to us, whether it be drones, whether it be community healthcare workers, to get the products to where those people are. So, in a nutshell,
1: that's that's what we.
0: I appreciate that. And, and my assumption, and to I'd love for you to weigh in here. My assumption is if we can make it easier for folks in need to acquire these supplies, um, the more supplies that they'll, you know, do you, do you, do you all see where uh, if, if it's too challenging for folks to get to where they can get the supplies, maybe they don't even try to do it. Is that what y'all see to
3: Absolutely. Uh, You know, you're speaking the language that we love to hear. Uh, We described that we want to make supply chains more people-centered. They must deliver services to people anytime, anywhere, where they want, uh, at the time that they want it, as conveniently as possible. Uh, And and this is a major shift from what we are seeing today. Um, What we have seen in a lot of places is that the responsible authorities deliver medicines to convenient places. Um, You know, a focus on health facilities as being the last mile. But people have got to travel 30 kilometers, 20 kilometers to get to that health facility. Is that convenient? Is that the last mile? Is that where people want to receive their services? Is that how people want to receive their services? And so at Village, we challenge some of those assumptions and we ask what is it that we need to do in the system to get products and services to where the people are um, and this is us execute a number of uh, interventions uh innovative in their own way um, some traditional but ones that bring products to where people are rather than people moving to where the products are
2: as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm typing along, there's so many nuggets that is coming on over here. And, and it's very interesting because as I mean, for me from supply chain Africa perspective, as we're trying to create a hub for supply chain resource across the continent, we realize that our challenges differs. Uh, the big economies of Egypt, Nigeria, and South Africa, have different framework uh, and logistic concerns are completely different. The infrastructure concerns are completely different. And uh, what you guys are doing in village reach and how it, the last mile is being constructed is very unique. And oftentimes, borderline, uh, in my opinion, in some world, if you come from a Western world or Eastern world, like "Damn, this damn insane, you know, but you have to do what you have to do to get uh, what is needed to save life today. So the last mile is quite critical. And that's why you're, When uh, Jenny introduced me to your operation, I found it very intriguing. Very intriguing. uh, Let me use this opportunity to say thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because this thing is needed. Our world needs this. Mm. Thank you. Well said.
4: As as you were talking, um, something that you just said resonated. So, Scott, you asked earlier about where we work um, most often. Um, So, we have um, countries like Malawi, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Mozambique, um, where which are what the ones we call our core countries, um, where we have long engagements and really invested a lot in building partnerships with the governments who are, you know, we believe the true stewards and, and custodians of, um, of public health services. Anyways, um, But part of the reason why that partnership is so critical is that it enables the development of very context-specific solutions. So, you know, the way that we might look at an intervention like Drones for Health in in Malawi um, is a little bit different, has got some nuances that are specific to Malawi where we're doing, you know, bi-directional, we send... Um, health commodities and vaccines um, one way and we bring back lab samples um, as the reverse uh, logistic arm of it, which is different to the DRC where we're dealing with a very um, specific challenge in in the Equator province where you have, and there's a video of this on YouTube uh, for those that have time, Um, I always remember that because it's one of the ones that I I looked at when I was preparing for my Village rich interview. Basically, it describes how, you know, drones are being used to transport um, commodities to a select number of health facilities that are hard to reach by car because the roads are, are difficult. And, you know, where it was taking someone almost a day or two to get products from the central point to those clinics. We're sending drones, I think there are about four or five of them, like a daily run of drones to that facility so that people in that area have access to it. So it's about customizing the solutions to the need in the context. So back to the countries, three core countries that we work in, long engagements. And then we also have what we call partner countries where we have um Kind of medium-term engagement. So those are um, Liberia, Tanzania, and Cote d'Ivoire, where we're doing work ranging from you know high-volume sites for for COVID vaccines to um, a growing community health engagement uh, program, supply chain community health workers. So sorry, I just wanted to no, chime in.
2: That's and, uh, I'm 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 just loving this. You have no idea of. How- the love that I'm just getting from this because it it shows about uniqueness of Africa as as a continent uh, and, you know, 50 plus different countries operating differently and uh, we have different exposure culturally and how those things drives. And one of the things about supply chain Africa is uh, people, business, and culture. And that's what drives, that's the fabric of African supply chain and most people have yet to actually conceptualize and let that idea kind of crystallize it to an extent of creating a framework that work, you know, uh, that work for different. So as we continue to try and open doors, open different borders across Africa, and we want to see what village rich will have to do as far, kind of leveraging those methodologies that they've seen work in some culture and see, though they've kind of customized to a different culture, we want to see if those, is there a commonality in as they continue to move their last mile, is there a commonality that can be used regardless of, geographical, or cultural location. I'm actually looking forward to such an If I'm sorry to kind of derail from this. This is very interesting. I love it. I so love it. So why don't we,
0: so if I can't, let's circle back to Adebayo's question there. We're going to get into uh, more supply chain observations from both Tepiwa and Tewange in a second, including we're going to touch more on the professionalization opportunity of supply chain management in particular in public health. But before we do, if I can move us along because I want to get Jenny back in. Jenny, Jenny's been observing. Uh, Jenny, I want to get to, why don't you ask about the big news with one McKenzie Scott, and then also move into you know, some of these supply chain issues that, that both of our guests have been observing in, in the last couple of years. Jenny.
1: Yeah. So, so thank you very much. I mean, I'm, I'm more than happy just to sit and listen to this because this is, this is, not my job is done because there's still so much more to do, but to connect and to thank Scott again and again and again for giving us all this sort of forum for us to be able to come together to understand what each other is trying to do. Because, you know, I am a great believer in collaboration and that together everyone achieves more. So here we go. (laughs) But you've had, I mean, Village Reach has just been the recipient of an amazing um, funding opportunity. And that's presumably going to create so many opportunities for you to do what you already do brilliantly, mm-hmm. but to be able to do it in a more meaning not more meaningful, but in a bigger way. Do you want to tell us about that, Tupiwa?
3: Sure, Jenny. Um, you know, this has been a very generous gift. Um, came as a surprise, very welcome nevertheless. Um, We're looking at this gift as a vote of confidence in the work that village the people in villages before us and and present have been doing. Um, From the time we were a small organization um, supporting vaccine delivery and transforming the vaccine supply chain in Mozambique, uh, growing to over um, 12 countries that we are working in in presently. And, And so, um, we we have a, a five-year strategy that we are implementing. Um, this generous gift allows us to invest in some of the program priorities um, that will lead to the micro shifts and the macro shifts to improve how healthcare services uh, get to people. Um, as an organization, as staff, of course, we... Uh, Going to the drawboards, looking at our strategy, updating our strategy, uh, reflecting on what's going to be most impactful uh, with this generous gift. Um, I must say, we are thankful to Mackenzie Scott uh, for this generous gift, and we hope through it we will be able to reach more people. Last year, um, our impact was we were able through our interventions to reach 58 million people. now I'm looking at uh, 58 million people. I don't know how many families that will be. I don't know uh, how many lives saved that will be. Yeah. But in the geographies that we work, uh, people's lives are needlessly lost. A high temperature that goes uncontrolled, um, a vaccine that is of poor quality making its way into the arms of patients and not doing the job that it must. And so, um, we're really reflecting on this investment as another added possibility for us to be able to, to save just one more life and make a difference in the lives of families in Africa.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's so 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 well so well invested, I think. I mean I was I re- was reflecting on the statistics that you shared with with our student audience um last year with what you moved from a PPE perspective to Ongo, do you want to share some of the, not to put you on the spot to come up with numbers, but I they were staggering and the speed with which you had to do it because of the pandemic. You know, um, I'm sure you saw the smile on my
4: face when you were saying that. I think that's been one of the, the biggest highlights for me um, in this work. So, um, you know, you, basically when, when the pandemic kicked off, um, um, Emily Bancroft, our, our president, together with um, um, other um, organizations like Direct Relief, um, working through the Community Health Impact Coalition, got together and said, you know, something needs to be done. There was an assessment done that basically said, in order to protect community healthcare workers, and these are, you know, people that are part of the communities. The most rural parts of of the continent. They're serving over a million um, families. Um, we need about 400 million pieces of PPE to, to protect these people every year, so that they can continue going into people's homes, delivering medicine, uh, doing prevention messaging, and all of those things. So they got together and um, through some catalytic funding from Direct Relief, a big thank you to them. Um, And and additional um, generous gifts that were provided by several other donors. Um, There was, and the numbers have improved, uh, Jenny. So we're now sitting at a total of 21.5 million dollars that was raised, and we managed to move and deliver 121 million pieces of PPE for community health care workers in the space of about a year. Um, And we have seen how, you know, just by making that PPE available, we have contributed to people continuing to access health services, because there was a lot of fear for people to go to clinics, oh no, I might get infected, Um, but if a a CHW is coming to my home, then at least I can continue to get that care, so it's been a highlight for me, um, and it's been quite an honour to be able to contribute to that.
1: Fantastic, absolutely amazing, Uh, I think it was 90 the, the number was 90 million, I think, when we last spoke. So that's a huge, 90.3 or something like that. So it's a huge, huge increase yes, and, a huge, and a huge difference.
4: No, it's it, It's really been massive. And you know, to put it in context, that pretty much provides PPE for about a little over 400,000 CHWs to be able to work for 6 to, to 12 months, depending on their context. So Fabulous.
0: Love that. Um, well, let's keep going down that vein a little bit further, uh, Jenny, because um, we're talking about supply chain issues over the last couple of years, right?
1: Yep, yep. So what? So so let's let's obviously, um, Tawonga, you've shared what's been a real positive from from your perspective in the last two years since the pandemic started. To people, obviously, that's going to be a similar. I mean, how do you top that? But but from a from a, a I don't know something maybe less dramatic. What's been something that's really stood out for you? And I only want positive. We need positivity. What's been a really positive thing that stood out for you that Village Reach has been involved in during the pandemic?
3: I I must say what what works for me is um, in in the pandemic, you know, uh, people in in supply chain, we say collaboration is the new new competition. Yep. Um, The pandemic has accelerated this. Organizations in the health space that have traditionally been competitors that have been working in the same space, duplicating efforts, have been able to collaborate at such a scale uh, that I don't think there's going to be any, any going back. Uh, in the particular initiative that Jenny, you were highlighting we're talking about uh, over 30 organizations operating in over 20 countries, uh, coming together to share resources, pool their funds, pool logistic capability, pool their advocacy with governments, and that nature of collaboration in organizations that that have previously competed against each other has been a point of light for me. It, it, It says resources can be used more efficiently, resources can be used more effectively, the impact can be measured more uh, in a more pronounced way. Um, and so I'm thinking that I hope in the future we're able to get the lessons learned and continue to collaborate at the scale that we collaborated during the pandemic. And that way, aid resources will be used more efficiently.
0: We do want to, I want to take a quick opportunity to echo what Adebayo was saying earlier. I'm sure Jenny does too, to thank uh, the Village Reach team for all they're doing. You know, uh, what I heard tawange say there a moment ago, when, as she was adding context to these numbers, was how that it becomes a force multiplier because it allows the healthcare community to help so many, so many others, right? Based on the uh, the PPE that they now have. And and, and as we've all learned, these last two years, two and a half years or so, um, you know, protecting those that, that serve others. You know, so it's such an important thing. And, and one important aspect of the noble mission that, global supply chain uh, certainly serves. I want to talk about, and uh, to people, let's start with you. I want to talk about um, the critical opportunity that is the professionalization, if I said that right, the professionalization of supply chain management in particular in the public health community. So why is that so important and what is that
3: opportunity to PY? So Scott, there's been a a growing interest in the um, supply chain and more especially in the public health supply chain. Um, a lot of people are seeing opportunities for career growth, for career development. And the sector is inviting people, is attracting people from very diverse backgrounds. Um, some are coming from you know, an engineering background, others are coming from a pharmaceutical background, like Tiwonga says. Um, others are coming from a business background, like me. We have many that are also coming from a social science um, background um, with others that have gone to school to study, you know, the skills uh, and with others that have grown in the sector, developed the skills and through experience. Um, so the, there is so much diversity and what is really important is to make sure that uh, given the bold um if ambitions we have for product availability, for efficiency, for effectiveness, these there need to define the kind of critical skills and competencies that are going to get us to that goal, that are going to allow people that are crossing from other sectors to cover the gap in terms of what they need to know that they don't know. Um, we've got to be able to attract uh, uh, top talent. Um, we're not going to be the sector that everyone falls for when they have nothing else uh, to do. Uh, and if we are going to pro- to attract top talent, there's got to be a, a, a pathway to growth, a pathway to um, growing in the in, in the sector and in the skills. So I'm looking at professionalisation as as an accountability mechanism that brings specialists professionals in the sector to be accountable for what they need to be able to do and to declare what they are able to do. Um, It's also a mechanism through which we can foster um, skills transfer, skills growth, uh, because if we have a a profession that's clearly distinct, that's being taught in certain formal institutions, uh, these people that can be identified, that can Uh, Like the process we are going through to transfer the skills to the young professionals. Um, And I look at professionalization as a path to, you know, being a recognized sector like the pharmacists, like the doctors, like the engineers, uh, in a way that standardizes the skills and competencies that people ought to have in the sector. Why
0: don't we do this? Let me have Tawange weigh in and then Adebayo, based on what you hear heard, I know you're passionate about this as well. I'd love to get your take. Uh, on their responses here. And then we'll pick back up there. So Tawange, same question. The the professionalization of supply chain management in particular in the public health community. Tell us about the opportunity and why it's so important.
1: I
4: think, you know, what uh, what Tapio has just mentioned there is is really key. Finding, uh, providing a bit more clarity, the skills, the competencies, um, and making sure that those are communicated in a way that the people, both the ones that are already in the system, understand and can relate to and can see a pathway um, not only to you know perhaps growing towards certain levels of ability, but also in being able to think through how best to engage, how best to collaborate with those individuals that are either within the system or those that are coming into the system. Um, to, to be able to participate. So, you know, I, I think back to the COVID pandemic. It's, it's really been um, an extent of, of things. Um, we have had to work together to get information systems to, to talk to each other, to get the data to flow. That requires very strong and capable software engineers, um, business analysts that can, you know, get that to happen at pace and at scale. Um, we need the people that have the ability to leverage things like artificial intelligence and social listening to not only get the information, but be, be able to interpret what we are hearing through social platforms and others um, in a way that can be used to program um, our interventions. Uh, that's a very specific skill set. We need the, the core supply chain skills to be able to use all of those different pieces of of data to actually then make the decisions on, okay, we have this much stock here, it's going to expire on such and such a date. Where do we prioritize sending it? How do we prioritize targeting it through the areas where we're getting the messages? So I think having that clarity on the mix of skills that are needed, um, being able to clarify what that core skill set is, at least from a supply chain perspective, is, is something that will not only help clarify the career journeys for a lot of people but I think it also just enable the collaboration uh, conversation so there's a lot of work that we're doing um with organizations like the IAPHL and I'm going to put Jenny on the spot just now for what that acronym stands for um <laughs> and uh people that deliver as well. Um, but well she's she's part of the team I think on that one. Um, yeah. So it's really about there is a whole body of work that is being done to Clarify those things to provide the frameworks, to provide the the norms, um, and we really need to be pushing um, the the agenda in institutionalizing that in the countries, in in systems. Moving from you know here are the skill sets to how do we make sure that businesses and governments are creating the the actual jobs that you know that uh, respond
0: to those those needs. All right. Wow. So I wow, want to get Thank you, Tawange. So uh, uh, Adebayo, I know that you're passionate about this. Topiwa and Tawange just shared a lot about that professional professionalization. I can't say that word for some reason. Uh but professionalization. Adebayo.
2: professionalization, <laughs> <Thank> professionalization <you.
1: laughs> I think. Yeah.
0: So Ataba, what, rece- yeah, no yeah. well, so what is your what's your take here?
2: Uh um, my take is everything they've said is quite encompassing. And you know, the reason, and I always point that the reason why Supply Chain Africa, and I share this thing, uh, intimately with, uh, with Jenny, the reason why Supply Chain Africa is why we kind of started this own initiative to be the ultimate resource for supply chain across the continent is we understand where Africa is and where Africa is going. And to get Africa to where it's going, Africa's supply chain need to be well entrenched in certain principles and certain ideologies. Oftentimes, like just like uh, uh, Tapuwa said, you know, uh, you know, just professionalization of it is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot that is going on. We have African uh, feed african continental free trade agreement going on as well is quite instrumental to a lot of things that's going to be going on across the continent but more importantly is the uniqueness and the nuances that so that surrounds african supply chain it's quite unique it's nothing that is currently obtainable in the west nor in the east is different is like i said it's well there's cultural flavor to it there's people flavor to it and oftentimes how we move things in africa you in the United States and the Europe and uh, Asia will never understand it or will ever even conceptualize it. Uh, it's just a way of getting things from point A to point B. And the one is quite unique. And we shy away from this uniqueness. We think it doesn't fit the narrative that's being pushed out there. But what we are saying is we need to embrace this uniqueness and nuances as our way forward, because this is how we're going to get to where we need to be. Uh, oftentimes, most of all these uh, you know, and and to speak to the educational and professionalization aspect of it is the fact that all these things has to be documented, has to be curated. What is necessary to move supply chain in the Western world and where they have robust and developed infrastructure is currently different from what is obtainable in Africa. So, we, the skill set is going to be different. Uh, the the knowledge attributes that you need to carry on your your function that the supply chain professionally, it's going to be completely different. So we're trying to bring that for, uh, you know, we have to also make sure that supply chains are well-respected. Everyone in Africa does supply. Now, models are probably the most logistically inclined individuals I've met, you know, but all these skill sets are out there. Like uh, Tiwanga said, Africa is a mecca of data at the moment and nobody is learning or understanding it. So all these things are the prime and I mean, they're not that they're primary but it's 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 ready to be activated and we need a supply chain professionals to be able to make sense of these and be able to position themselves and posture Africa for so uh what uh Tapiwa and tuanga said is just a part of it this thing is a whole robust thing that needs to happen that needs to engine there is a part of the engine that needs to propel africa forward so we're looking for collaborations. we're looking for people with leadership to be able to contribute to this endeavor. I am sold on this. I'm so even I'm, I'm moving all my family from US. And I'm moving back to Africa. You know what? Well, we're gonna do this. I don't think. I hope my wife's not listening to this podcast. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> but I'm so passionate about it. So I'm so I'm so happy that that T'piwa and to is 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 very is very refreshing. That what we are thinking on this side. Others are thinking on the other part of the continent. They also think that is it's okay. So if everyone, professionals, are thinking about this journey and the folks are thinking about this across the continent, it's showing that the time is right. The time is right to make this thing happen. And we are here to make time, it happen.
0: The time is right. The time is now. So for the sake of time, uh, I want to start to bring this to close. We'll have to have you all back. There's so much to the Village Reach story. There's so much to, uh, as Adebayo was saying, uh, the uniqueness of uh the supply chain community across the continent uh all the different flavors and vibes i love that uh, out of bio um but let's make sure folks know how to connect with uh both Tapiwa and tuange with village reach i start there uh Tepewa, how can folks connect with you and village reach
3: we're right there we're using new media we're using social media um I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just look for me on LinkedIn. The name is Tapio Mukwashi. Uh, look for Village Rich on LinkedIn as well. Um, we also trading as Village Rich on our Twitter handle. We on Facebook. Uh, on email, um, you can get me on tapio.mukwashi at villagerich.org. So uh, plenty of channels easy. through it. It's just that easy. It's just that easy.
0: Uh, and. <laughs> clearly a uh, big noble mission. Folks, y'all check that out. We're going to, we're going to try to try to make that as easy as possible for both to PWA and Tuange to list that one click away in the episode page. Uh Tuange, same question. Uh, How can folks connect with you um and what you're doing?
4: Everything to PWA said and <laughs> Tawangay.inkandawire at villagereach.org.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. So
4: um, yeah.
0: Quick question. Uh Is LinkedIn when, when it comes to, your um, you know, how you comment and engage across social is LinkedIn. Your y- y'all, you're both uh, your channel, uh, your preferred channel, Tuange.
4: For me, yes, uh, my preferred channel is definitely LinkedIn. So on there, you'll be able to um, you know, catch, you know, kind of keep up with um, what I'm involved in, what a lot of um, my team is involved in, um, and you know, the cross linkages to what the broader Village Rouge team is doing. So LinkedIn and definitely Twitter um, is a good go to. Um, but we recently launched our new website. It looks quite nice if I may say. So please uh, go to villagereach.org to uh, just get a little bit more about um,
0: love that villagereach.org listeners y'all check that out be sure be sure to connect with tepiwa and Tawange uh, on LinkedIn and beyond and linkedin LinkedIn's good for you as well, right? Fantastic. All right.
3: LinkedIn is the best. Content.
0: Wonderful. Um, folks, you know, we say this often, uh, Jenny and Adebayo, we're just not even barely scratching the surface to what uh, leaders uh, like our guests here are doing. Of course, their organization. And gosh, with um, the generosity of, of folks globally, including Mackenzie Scott, I love how they're going to be able to take that and, and go bigger, help more, move, you know, move mountains, really. Um, so, but Adebayo, uh, as we start to, to uh, kind of wind things down, I want to get your favorite thing you heard from our panel here today. And then, of course, of course, we want to know how to connect with all the cool things you're doing.
2: Awesome. The coolest thing I've heard uh, today is about, first, actually, I two coolest things. Uh, one from uh, the PUA is about the institutionalization uh, of supply chain knowledge in Africa, instit- institutionalization of it which is bringing all this knowledge together and let's make it something that we can start practicing. Uh, great. We have certain things that I've always, there's science and art to supply chain. Science is universal. Heart, the heart part of supply chain is not universal. It is very, very local. And uh, having to, you know, people in the same geographical space as Africa, we need to start looking at common grounds. So what, works in Malawi can this thing actually works in Congo can you work in Nigeria you know you'd be surprised what can be done uh, so I, I love that concept and also from uh, Tuwenge uh, the 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 Mount Everest of support I think that kind of resonates across the board and as a parent as well you know kind of am I giving my kids the Mount Everest of support maybe I'm giving them King Lomanjara I don't know but you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to see, uh, but but it, it resonates well with me. So thank you, and please follow us on Supply Chain Africa and Adibai Adilke LLC. Uh, what we are doing in Nigeria, in Rwanda, and other parts of the country. Now follow us on uh, as we, you know, pushing towards the maiden edition of it. And thank you to Wange for volunteering to uh, to be one of our interviewers in our ed- first edition. Uh, and the Village is going to be front and center. On what they've done during COVID, It's this is is very is a healthcare kind of meeting edition about Africa. And thank you, Jenny Supply, you know, CPEX, and you know, African Supply Chain Excellence Award, all the things that we guys, you know, what we hold a depth of gratitude. So thank you, and of course, Scott, the Supply Chain. Now you guys are the awesome. You guys are the original bam bam jiggy jiggy. You know, so thank you. <laughs>
0: Well, I appreciate, uh, again, it's about deeds, not words, and this panel here, and they live it out every day. Uh, So thank you for those thoughts out of bio. Uh, We're we're kindred spirits, especially on the uh, Mount Everest of support, they'll forever stay with us. Uh, Jenny, man, there's too much to get to here uh, in this episode. But Jenny, what's one thing that sticks out? And of course, how can folks connect with you and SAFEX?
1: I think that in a nutshell, there's a lot that that melded together. And I think that it all comes back to inspirational community and what we get from our community. You know, everybody said amazing things. But it's also a situation that if we continue to work in our silos and in isolation and we don't communicate, then we will never be able to make the supply chain profession a profession because we're all doing similar things, but up until recently, nobody really knew what everyone was doing. So communication, community, all of which will ultimately end up being inspirational. So I think that that, that's how I would sum up the discussion. Um, and again, a great thanks to, to Scott and the team for, for this amazing platform. Um, you can find me through the, through SAPICS, www.sapics, S-A-P-I-C-S, dot O-R-G, or LinkedIn. And particularly, I prefer Twitter because it's far less formal. So I like to have a little bit of fun in, and chat. And Scott and I share lots of fun things, including food uh, on Twitter. So join us. It's
0: fun. Join us, please. Food, flowers, dogs, uh, you name it. We enjoy uh, every, you know, love supply chain, but it's nice to take a break from time to time. And Jenny, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, folks, make sure you connect with each of these four STEAM leaders. I'll tell you, you won't regret it. Uh, big thanks to Jenny Froom and Sapix. Big thanks to Adabio Adilake and what they're doing at Supply Chain Africa. A lot of good stuff coming there. If you can't tell, uh, a little bit of passion on this panel here today. So great to have you uh, here out of Iowa as part of our uh, uh, Supply Chain Leadership Across Africa series. Of course, our featured guests here today, Tapia um, Mukwashi and Tuange uh, M. um M. Kanawiri, I think, uh, my apologies, it's so important to get names right. You know, I, I think I tell the story, my last name uh, to many looks like Lutton. But it's Luton like Luton England and the first day of school with reliability every single time the teacher would get that wrong. And it, it never feels good. So, but hey, Tapiwa and Tawange, most importantly, um, love what you're doing. Uh, congratulations on really the impact that that your professional journeys are having, your teams, um, the, the village reach organization. And you know, we love, you know, speaking for our supply now team here perhaps for Jenny and autobio when great things happen to great people that are doing great things in the industry that is truly uh, the best news we can all celebrate. so uh, we look forward to reconnecting with y'all again soon. big thanks folks make sure you check out villagereach.org and to all of our listeners out there on behalf of our entire supply chain now team hey be like this panel here goodness gracious uh, do good, give forward and be the change that's needed on that note we'll see you next time right back here.